why are you giving up? Are you giving up because you're tired and you don't see a reason for learning? Or are you giving up because you really and truly just can't do it? Or are you giving up because there's an easier way out? You think, oh, I'll just pay an interpreter or rely on my expat friends. When you're knocking on a door or feeling like you're beating your head against the wall, you really don't know when one more knock is enough to break the door down and you're going to sail right through it. Welcome everyone. Our guest today worked 10 years at the Center for Intercultural Training. There she coordinated the language acquisition course and taught language learning skills to literally hundreds of global workers. Karen, so glad to welcome you to the show today. Before I start to pick your brain, fill us in on your own language learning experience. After my pre-field training in culture and language acquisition, I landed in Poland. I quickly discovered that Polish is a very difficult language and so struggled through to learn the language. Then after I finally started to get a handle on it and felt comfortable, this guy came along who was working in Bulgaria. So I ended up moving to Bulgaria and starting over with a new husband and a new language. And again, it was really hard and I struggled. I'm not one who learns languages easily, but I was determined to fight hard. I stayed in Bulgaria 13 years where I coached other language learners and taught ESL as well. At CIT, Karen, you ask participants to consider certain soft skills in their future language learning program. In the professional world, soft skills can refer to critical thinking, problem solving, leadership, etc., but what do you mean by soft skills in language learning? Soft skills are opposed to hard skills. Hard skills are the tangible linguistic things that you usually think about mastering in order to gain communicative competence in the language, like vocabulary, pronunciation, grammar, as well as pragmatic components like knowing appropriate varieties and interaction skills, like when do you say hey and when do you say hello, madam? But the soft skills we're thinking about, attitude primarily, how you feel about learning the language, but also we would include accountability, energy, pacing, things like that. I'd like to just focus in on attitude today and leave the other soft skills for another time if we could. But can we start with your own personal story of an attitude struggle? Sure. Um, be vulnerable right from the start. When I was first getting ready to go overseas as a global worker, my employer gave me a test to see how well I could learn a language. And I scored really poorly. Like, it was really going to be hard for me to learn a second language. And so after four years of intercultural studies in college, this lady sat me down and said, oh, you really might want to rethink your career. I was devastated. I was so upset that this was going to stop me from doing what I felt I was called to do. So I went back and talked to one of my college professors. He said, look, Karen, that test only tests things like how well you can memorize vocabulary or find subtle nuances in the grammar. It doesn't test your fortitude to keep trying. It doesn't test your attitude in learning. That was encouraging to me that it is possible. Yet that test just stuck with me. 
I did go overseas believing that I could not learn a second language. So you kind of bought into aptitude Trump's attitude. I actually took that same test, Karen, before starting my MA, but I was too chicken to find out what I made on it. But what was that quote from Henry Ford that you mentioned? Henry Ford said, if you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're right. Meaning, if you think you can do something, you probably can do it. But if you think you can't, you're going to fail at it before you even try. So I went to Poland believing that I probably could not learn a language. And I almost became my own self-fulfilling prophecy that I wasn't going to be able to do it. But I had to switch my thinking to, I can do this. I will do this. And I really poured into learning. Because if you believe you can't, you just can't. Well, what caused your turnaround? What flipped that switch for you? It actually was a spiritual sort of aha moment. I realized that I was called and the Father was going to do it through me. It wasn't me. It was him. And so I had to really just trust that he was going to do the work in me and not believe that it was impossible and that I was wasting my time. So why even make an attempt? Tell us how that played out practically. Instead of just thinking, why should I even bother to start memorizing vocabulary? I'm not going to get it. I started memorizing one word and then a second word and then a third word. And pretty soon I was learning as opposed to just not even trying because I figured I wouldn't be able to. Since it applies to what you've been saying about attitude, I wanted to interject something here about a well-known model for language acquisition. I know you know about it. That model by Stephen Creation includes what we call the effective filter hypothesis. That effective filter actually strains out, filters out, or we could say blocks out the input you're getting in language learning. That effective filter includes attitude, so that's why we're talking about it. Here's what he says about attitude. Those whose attitudes are not optimal for second language acquisition will not only tend to seek out less input, that's your why bother attitude, but even if they do obtain the input and they do understand it, the input still will not reach that part of the brain responsible for language acquisition. He goes on to say those with attitudes more conducive to second language acquisition will not only seek out and get more input, they will also have a lower or weaker effective filter. So what they understand will strike deeper and actually be acquired, if you will. That is so fascinating, isn't it? That our brains kind of weed out the stuff when we have an attitude of, I just don't care. Like, for instance, let me give a quick example of my two boys approaching language learning. As children, they approached it very differently. One saw that the teacher was talking and focused to try to figure out what she was saying. The other saw the teacher was talking and looked away because he didn't understand. It was difficult to get the second one over that emotional barrier to try 
But eventually, with lots of exposure and hard work, they both learned and did extremely well in national schools. That conducive attitude, like Creation calls it, let's break that down here. What constitutes a conducive attitude in regards to language learning, in your opinion? You have to have a learner posture, I call it. You really have to come across as wanting to learn, showing your appreciation for the people, for their language. With a learner attitude, you come in not as a know-it-all, but almost as a child. Coming in as a child who is ready to explore, ready to discover, to play with the language, ready to notice new things, and ready to be taught, to be corrected, to admit you don't know everything, and invite people into your life who can teach you, people who will be willing to show you the right way and not just tolerate your mistakes. Actually inviting and seeking out correction while not just putting up with constant errors and reacting negatively when you are corrected. Yes, we will make mistakes. And how we respond to them is important. A phrase we used at CIT is, you have to make a million mistakes to learn the language, so you might as well just get started. Expect there to be a whole lot of mistakes, and so learn not to get too upset about making them. And guys, if you haven't already, go back and listen to episode 15, Everybody Makes Mistakes. And so, Karen, attitude has a lot to do with how you respond, right? In this case, how you respond to making mistakes and getting correction. What are some other language learning situations that would test your attitude? Good question, Mary Lynn. Uh, A big one is language school. A lot of things might not be to your liking. And so you complain, this is a stupid book, stupid teaching methods, even a stupid language that doesn't make sense. I don't know if you've heard yourself saying that or not. You're failing tests over and over because they're silly and not fair. Or the teacher might even shame you with overcorrection or if you don't do your homework. And then you have to decide what attitude are you going to choose? I like that, that you're saying it's a choice. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. Are you going to choose to accept the instruction no matter how badly it might be delivered? Are you going to slam your head down on the desk, throw your textbook and stomp out or just quit? So, yeah, what attitude will you choose when things aren't to your liking? Okay, true confessions here. In language school, I had a super bad attitude about the grammar teacher in particular. What made it worse was that everybody else loved the guy. He was their favorite teacher. I mean, really? The lessons were super tedious. He'd write on the blackboard these long verb conjugations that were already in the book. But this was the worst. After an exam, he would go around and have everybody one by one take a question and give the answer. So we're talking about 25 people here. And so he would weave up and down the rows of desks. And it was so boring and so bad and such a cheesy way of getting his grading done. And of course, I had been to graduate school. I had been a teaching assistant. I had a master's in linguistics after all. 
And this was just the most ridiculous style of teaching ever. And I'm embarrassed to say that I would just put my head down on the desk and check out. Really a very childish response. And at the end of the semester, I think he told me this in person, that I had the worst attitude of any global worker he had ever taught. And I'm sure that was well-deserved. Oh, Mary Lynn, thanks for that great example. I've watched so many language learners do just that. Even great language learners like you, it's so easy to do. So let go of the guilt. (laughs) It's so typical. We catch ourselves doing it. Thanks, Karen. That was very generous. (laughs) Moving on now, how about another language learning challenge to one's attitude? Well, another one is trying to say something and not being understood. It can create frustration and and even anger sometimes. Some local people are very patient and long-suffering, and they'll keep trying to understand. But others might shake their head and say, I just don't understand you, and then walk away. One time the car wasn't working well, and so I went to the mechanic to get the car fixed. I really didn't know any of the car vocabulary. I'd never learned the word for carburetor in my textbook in class, you know. And the man just said, why don't you just go home and have your husband bring the car back? Like he was not even willing to try to understand me, not even willing to give me a chance to fight through it. So that was very discouraging. He'd made me just not even want to bother to try in the future. Another situation is comparison. For example, comparison with your spouse or comparison with maybe another teammate. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. (laughs) You're hitting a little close to home now. It's easy to look at somebody next to you and compare yourself to their progress. But everybody learns at different rates and in different ways with different methods. So comparing yourself to someone else in class or someone else that you're living with is just going to make it harder for you and not easier. You could get really discouraged or comparison could make you feel like you're doing really well. Look at me. I'm doing better than my spouse. So, you know, I must be smarter. But hey, they may be ahead of you in another month. You don't know. If you're trying to correct a spouse or a roommate and tell them that they're not as good as you, then relationally, that's a terrible idea. Well, the truth is that some people do better at one thing and other people do better at another thing. But yeah, either way you look at it, comparison is hurtful to any relationship. So try and avoid it. Again, everybody learns differently and at their own pace. Would you share the example you mentioned from your time in Bulgaria? Sure. When I was coaching language learners in Bulgaria, one girl was really meticulous. She was a college professor and she was super exact in the things that she did. And so she was mostly studying the language, but she wasn't speaking yet because she was waiting to make sure she had it all correct. However, she was living with a girl who's very outgoing and not really careful or concerned about mistakes. And so She was speaking quite quickly with mistakes, but she was speaking and able to carry on conversations and get things done in the language. 
So the college professors thought in comparison, she was just not doing well in the language. But once she did start speaking, her language was so much more accurate because she had taken the time to really study and get it down. But she was really discouraged in the process, feeling like she wasn't doing as well. But like I said, she just was moving at a different pace and in a different way. So it can come down to accepting what kind of learner you are. Sure. Yeah, that would be a good way to put it. I personally might need to hear a word 70 or 80 times to remember it. Other people need to hear a word only 10 times to remember it. It just means I need more repetition. Don't put undue pressure on yourself from other people that may or may not have a realistic picture of what it's like for you. Your attitudes are really tied into expectations as well, wouldn't you say? That's a good way of looking at it. And if somebody who's gone before you says they were fluent in the language in a year, you're going to assume that you should also be fluent in the language in a year. But the truth is, most people actually aren't fluent in a language in a year. It usually takes years. Karen, because of your many years in pre-field training in language learning, I'd like to ask you, what are some red flag attitudes that you picked up on? An attitude that comes across like, I already know how to learn the language. I know everything. Yeah, I'm just going to go in. I'll just go to language school and learn it easy peasy without realizing it's harder than they think it is. Oftentimes, it comes down to humility versus pridefulness. I think that pretty much sums it up. You know, Mary Lynn, in his book on humility, Andrew Murray said, Humility is not so much a grace or virtue along with others. It is the root of all, the chief mark of righteousness. Oh, that's kind of an ouch. Language learning really is a crucible in so many ways isn't it? It is. And it can really do great things for you if you take it well with a good attitude. In my current world on the farm, if I have a weed and I yank the top off of it, it just kind of doubles down, gets stronger, and grows back that much bushier. And if there's not enough water, the roots go down deeper makes me keep thinking that adversity really is a good thing. Adversity can really help us grow, or it can crush us. And it's your attitude that decides how you take on that adversity. That's a really good segue to talk about resilience, since that's another attitude that you discuss at CIT. Can you give us an idea of what you mean by resilience? Is it the same as perseverance? I think there are some similarities. Resilience is kind of a new topic in language learning, and there's a lot of research these days about what makes a person resilient. So in brief, resilience is just your ability to bounce back after something goes wrong. Perseverance is your ability to kind of endure through the difficult times. I think perseverance is part of resilience, since to be resilient, you have to be able to persevere through the tough times. There's a big question about whether resilience is something you're born with or something you can nurture in you. From the reading I've done, I think it's both. 
I think there are some people who are just born more resilient than others. But I also think it's something that can be nurtured. Like if you regularly go out in the wilderness alone with just what you can carry on your back and you learn to survive, say, without food or water for extended periods of time, you're going to become more resilient. And I think the same is true with language learning. You're going to get knocked down. That's going to be part of the language learning process. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have people say things that are unkind. But what's your ability to bounce back? What's your ability to keep going and not let yourself get overwhelmed or just quit? Will you be resilient? Besides your training role, I know you've done debriefing with global workers coming back to the U.S. You've done a ton of them. Can you give some shining examples of resilience that you've encountered? Yeah, great question. Yeah, there are actually many um, people who come back super successful from language learning. But the one that always comes to mind is actually a fellow staff member. He and his wife went to live in the middle of the jungle and learn an unwritten tribal language that they then would reduce to writing. So he first had to build his house and get to know people and try to build positive relationships so that people would help him learn the language. And then he contracted this serious illness and almost died. And then they lost their first baby. He had to figure out in the jungle how to make a coffin and put the baby in it. It was just one thing after another that hit them while still trying to learn language. But as he was telling me the story, the thing that really struck me was he kept getting back up. When things knocked him down, he kept getting back up. Even after losing a baby, they didn't pack it in and go home. He kept getting back up. They weren't very successful in learning that tribal language, but they were successful in their work. Yeah, I met them at CIT. And if I remember correctly, the trials didn't let up when they returned to the States, did they? No. So don't let yourself believe the lie that if you move back home, everything will be easier. For my colleague, there was more illness when he got back to the States. He had heart issues. Even a freak incident getting a peanut stuck in his throat before the plane was supposed to take off and they had to stop the plane and rush into the emergency room. And more recently, he survived a very scary bout with COVID. It just doesn't stop with that guy, and he keeps getting back up. This is a tough question, though, I think. Would you say that there is a time to get back up, and then there's a time just to give up? That's a really good one to ponder. And my answer would be, it depends. The question is, why are you giving up? Are you giving up because you're tired and you don't see a reason for learning? Or are you giving up because you really and truly just can't do it? Or are you giving up because there's an easier way out? Like you think to yourself, oh, I'll just pay an interpreter or rely on my expat friends. When you're knocking on a door or feeling like you're beating your head against the wall, you really don't know when one more knock is enough to break the door down and you're going to walk through it. 
yes, it could actually be an impenetrable door and you should go knock somewhere else. What I would say is, especially with language learning, is make absolutely sure that that door is not open and can't be open, not just that it's starting to get hard. Because a lot of people give up right before they have that breakthrough, when it really begins to click for them. So don't give up too soon, would be my advice there. That's so wise, Karen, thanks. Really, there are so many opportunities to give up more than you'd ever imagine. I know you'd agree. I personally came so close to giving up when, as part of our training, we were living on the border with a Mexican family for a month and trying so hard to learn Spanish. But that's another story. I'm reminded of this quote I have on my bulletin board from Thomas Edison. Many who fail in life are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Any last comment or piece of advice you'd like to leave us with, Karen? Attitude is what you do as a result of the way you think and feel. Attitude is an action. Now, I'm going to have to ponder that one. And I can't end without mentioning the importance of practicing gratitude. Okay, you hinted at your super duper language blooper, but I'd like to hear the full shebang, please. All right. Um, I had been learning language about six months when I took a train five hours north to the capital. After a little while, I realized I had a captive audience in my little train car. And so I decided to try to introduce the man next to me to my friend Jesus. I quickly thought it through in my head and was pretty sure I could come up with enough vocabulary to make myself understood. So I started in. I didn't know the word for way. So I said that Jesus is the path to the Father. I felt really pleased with myself there for a second until the poor confused man eventually burst out in hysterical laughter. I was crushed that he was laughing at my deep truth. I I just got the guts to try and share with him. But then he explained that instead of saying Jesus is the path to the Father, I actually said that Jesus is the Christmas tree to the Father. It's hodnik as opposed to hoinka. Say that again. Hodnik versus hoinka. So yeah, the most important message I could share, I messed it up big time. But it was just one of my million mistakes, and I never made that one again for sure. Well, that was a really good one since we're in the middle of Advent here. Karen, thanks tons for being on the show today. Thanks, Mary Lynn. It is always such a pleasure to talk language learning with you. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show. I really love listening to your podcast and learn something new every time. I appreciate that promo, Karen. I so miss visiting you at CIT. You're not just a colleague, you're really a friend. The best of luck in your new venture out there on the farm in sunny California. If you're interested in the language acquisition course that Karen directed, just look up the Center for Intercultural Training. I'm Mary Lynn Kinberg, and thanks for joining us on Language on Purpose. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, 
or just go to our webpage, languageonpurpose.org. Subscribe and you won't miss an episode. Keep on keeping on, guys. I really don't want you to give up.